We come to this place for magic. We come to this podcast to laugh, to cry, to care, because we need that, that indescribable feeling we get when the lights begin to dim, dazzling images on a huge silver screen. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this, and stories feel perfect and powerful. Because here they are. He's looking at you. What do you think about what last in your seat is? It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm the king of the world! Welcome to In a Place Like This. I'm Chris Michael Smith. I am really excited to be joined by my guest today. Uh, he is a filmmaker from Brisbane, Australia. Shane Anderson, the director of Red Curtain Hell. Hello, hello. How's it going? I'm doing great. How about you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. It's the sunny afternoon for me here, but it's the evening for you there, isn't it? Something like yeah, 9 p.m. Yeah, like 9 p.m. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah you're my first international guest uh this is Ooh. my first time interviewing someone via video chat so oh, wonderful. this is really exciting for me <laughs> that's cool and I my first honest, guest is a filmmaker honest. too so yeah oh really oh yeah. what's your favorite movie i feel a little bit like a, of a basic person for saying this but um like I, ca I can't go past guillermo del toro and i can't go past pan's labyrinth i know that's sort of like one of those films that I've never met someone who doesn't like it and it's just universally considered a perfect film. Um, but it just, it's so good. Like everything, I don't think he's made a bad film and pretty much his entire filmography, except maybe Mimic is all in my top 100 of all time. Yeah, so. he's really good. Like, and Pan's Labyrinth to me, that's like his, it's going to be a tough one for him to top. Yeah. 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 And, and for me, it's interesting because my top three of his used to be like Pan's Labyrinth, Shape of Water, and Crimson Peak. Actually, I'm a huge defender. For some reason, people don't like that movie, and I think it's fantastic. Like but it. <laughs> Nightmare Alley came out, and I'm kind of like, oh, this is like top tier Del Toro. So that kind of eked out Crimson Peak. It's my top three of those ones. Uh, his movies always look fantastic too. Like he, he has mm. like the best production design. His 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 um go to phrases is, "I don't have um eye candy. I have eye protein." <laughs> everything means something else yeah that's true i could it's see that nutritious <laughs> uh, is there anything outside of movies that you would like li briefly like to geek out over yeah well there's something i feel like more people should be talking about and they aren't it, it's not it's close to movies it's tv but it's a mini series called landscapers huh. now i briefly saw like a trailer for it ages ago we have our like our local australian streaming service and it's called stan I don't know why. I don't know the context of why they called it Stan, but it is. Um, and there was a trailer on that and me and my boyfriend watching it and we're like, oh, this looks really good and really interesting. And then he went and watched it without me, <laughs> as you do. Came home like raving about it. It was like, you have to you have to see this thing. I'm like, okay, okay. And I'll get around to it eventually. And then I had like a sick day a few weeks ago. They're like, yeah, I'll, I'll put it on. I'll just It's only four episodes. It stars Olivia Colman and David Thewlis. Oh. And it's in... The broader sense of the word, it's like a true crime thing, but the presentation of it is very different. It tells a story about like a true story in 2014, this couple were, this middle-aged couple were arrested for the murder of her parents who were found in the backyard. 
of their old house and they had to run away to Paris. And the circumstances of what exactly happened is sort of a bit wild. And um, the whole show set after the event is no like, oh, let's watch the movie. It's not a true crime in any normal sense of the word. In America, it's on HBO Max. Highly recommend, like, it, there's a, there's a sh like, the way they shoot it is really unique and extraordinary. Olivia Coleman, I think it's maybe her best performance as well. Oh, that's, that's bold. It's really, <laughs> and she, she's, she's someone who just bats you know, home runs every single time, like even in Mitchell's versus the machines, where it's just her voice. <laughs> and, but she's really good. I think it's David Thewlis's best work. And the way they shoot it is like, you know, talk about the movie that we're talking about later being something like you've never seen before. They do a lot of really unique and interesting things. And there's a shot in episode three that broke my brain. Cause I was like, oh, you can just do that in a show. And not only does it work, it like makes it infinitely more compelling. It pulls you further into the moment. It's called Landscapers. It's on HBO Max in America. It's on Stan in Australia. And it's just four episodes. You you can literally binge it like I did in like a day. You'll get it done in a day. I ended up watching it like twice in the span of a week. Oh, and wow. I don't normally do that with TV. Um, but it was like, yeah, no, this is really good. I'm not your husband. I'm another version of I'm from another universe. I'm here because we need your help. Very busy today, a uh, whole time to help you. Across the multiverse, I've seen thousands of Evelyns. You can access all their memories, their emotions, even their skills. There's a great evil spreading throughout the many verses. And you may be your only chance of stopping it. Thank you. I am really good. I don't believe you. So today we're going to be discussing, honestly, like, I don't want to say this so soon after watching the movie, but I feel like it's going to be one of my favorite movies of all time, to be yeah, honest. I, I feel exactly the same way. Um, I saw it twice. I've seen it twice now. I saw it a second time a few days ago. And I'm like, it feels really bold and weird to call, like, best of all time this early on from a release of a film with like no time to look back on it but and that's why I kind of went to see it again I was like well maybe maybe some of it gets a bit diminished no it just gets better <laughs> it just gets better because it's like then you catch all the stuff that you missed the first time it's like oh all right yeah I actually yeah, yeah. still want to give it another another viewing I'm just like I have not stopped thinking about it um, in case anyone has not listened to the previous few episodes or watched my TikTok video that I released right after watching the movie, uh, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, directed by Daniels. Wow, I've... Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. Yeah, I, I love... When I saw the trailer, I really thought... When I saw Daniels on there, I'm like, huh, that's an interesting name for a filmmaker, just like one of those single names. Like, oh, no, no, this is just... <laughs> like Madonna. Yeah, <laughs> this is just two filmmakers named Daniel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as the trailer... Because I had no idea the movie existed, and then the trailer went out and everyone was kind of sharing it on film Twitter, and I, and I was like because I really loved um, their previous film. And so I was like, I'm kind of committed to show up for whatever they do. That's kind of where I'm at with movies. I like to be surprised, but the temptation of the trailer was just a bit too much. So I watched it and I was like, oh, this looks like not just good, but like good, good. And I was like, okay, okay. And I ended up watching the trailer several times over the next few months and showing everyone I could just be like, this movie looks different. This looks different, but I didn't know just how different, just how amazing it was going to be. 
it's a joy it's a joy to watch and it's that same they their term for what they do is called uh, uh earnest maximalism is their term for their style of filmmaking because it's really big it's not minimalism it's not subtle but it's super earnest and really heartfelt and swiss army man it threw some people off because there's quite a lot of i guess bodily functions present in the film and people kind of some people just shut down immediately on that and that's all well and good but i think the movie uses that not in just a crass sort of oh it's a fart you know they do it in a very very interesting <laughs> they make farts emotionally uh fulfilling if you will <laughs> which is yeah. a really hard thing to do i remember when that movie was first like <laughs> announced it was like the farting corpse movie yeah daniel rag harry potter plays a farting corpse with yeah. the, the pitch you know uh i did want to offer a warning to listeners that uh we may touch upon some things that might come across that, that are probably spoilers and even just like describing scenes in the movie i don't want to say like it can be spoiled but i also feel like a lot of my enjoyment did come from like the surprise of a lot of these scenes mm. So I, I will say that if you haven't seen this movie yet, go ahead and pause this podcast. Go watch it. Watch it now. Go see it and then come back and listen to the podcast. I mean, nothing is lost from like, well, my opinion anyway, like knowing what happens, but there's an extra yeah. well, a big of part of A big part of the joy of the second viewing, I kind of, the second viewing happens in a lot of those surprising moments, the, the what the kind of moments are gone. And with that gone, the emotional storytelling hits like 500 times harder. And so it becomes even more, I was the first time I didn't cry watching it. And the second time, the last like 30 minutes, I'm just crying constantly. It was really, really cool and beautiful. Yeah. Uh, That's the thing about this movie. That's like so good. Like it has all this farcical slapstick comedy. And then like, it like hits you with the right emotional beats, like later on in the movie. Mm. And it's like, it's this weird, these weird tonal shifts that come together and it doesn't feel jarring. It doesn't feel like it doesn't belong. Everything Everywhere All at Once uh, stars uh, Michelle Yeoh. Um, my introduction to her was Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And I thought she was incredible in that. And then like, she's she's kept popping up since then. And she's, it's surprising to me that like, she doesn't have any Oscar nominations, does she? Well, let's hope she gets on for this. She Although my it. feeling is that Everything Everywhere is such a good movie that it won't get nominated for Oscars. It'll be like one of those, how did this not get nominated? Yeah, it'll be the hereditary of this year or something. Yeah, like, but even looking at her performance in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and also mm. even a couple years ago... And that ago, got nominated for a bunch of Oscars. Yeah, like Best Picture nominations yeah. and everything. Uh, even like a couple of years ago when she did Crazy Rich Asians, like I thought yeah. she was amazing in that. Yeah, she's even great. I, I've only just recently watched like the Bond films because my partner loves Bond. And so, I, you know, we've been going through it and I finally got to see, you know, her rock up in, in, in as a Bond girl. And I was like, oh, this is so good. She's so fun to watch. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot she was in that. Was it Tomorrow Never Dies? Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she's amazing. And in this, I feel like this is, I don't, do I want to say it's her best performance? It's hard to say. Well, I haven't seen in, I, I like, I mean, I, I think it probably is. I think she feels it is. I've seen a couple of interviews with her where she feels it's where she's got to show the entire range of everything she can do in one kind. It's an actor's dream role. Like you get yeah. given a script like this, you get told, 
you're going to be able to do literally everything you've ever wanted to do in one movie. You, get <laughs> you know, to be funny. You get um, to be tragic. You get to be all of it. Like, yeah, she. I think. I think she thinks it's one of her, or it's one of her favorites, at least of her performances. I really want to watch. I've been told to watch Yes, Madam, which is a, a Hong Kong action film. Um, I'm trying to hunt it down and, and get it watch it because it looks fun i remember people sharing clips on twitter and i was like some of the action scenes i was like oh this looks so cool yeah i even like enjoyed her in like a lot of like the higher like the, the blockbuster stuff she's been in like she was in shang chi and she was amazing in that as mm. well she was my favorite part of that movie yeah she was I'll say yeah. That. yeah and she doesn't have and it's it, she, you can you know a good actor when they don't have a lot of screen time and they you know their scene is usually to dump a bunch of information for the protagonist which is what her kind of function is in the thing and yet she does so well and she's so magnetic and she just makes those scenes pop yeah i keep thinking about that <coughs> opening scene in crazy uh, crazy rich asians where she walks into the hotel and obviously they're like being super racist with her because she's not white and her kids are like just leaving a mess on the floor and then this whole thing goes on and then she reveals that she now owns the hotel and like this person who was like super rude for, to her is like yeah i'm your boss so go ahead and clean up that mess yeah yeah that was a great scene that so one good. uh we'll talk about more about her stuff in yeah. this movie but like uh, i love her I, and i i'm like glad yeah. she's getting recognition and star trek too she's great in that. oh that's right discovery yeah yeah she's amazing and her co-star is Kehui Kwan, which I cannot believe. Like he he almost like as good as Michelle Yeoh is in this, he kind of almost steals the show. Yeah. He's, he's so good. I'm upset that like after Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and Goonies, he couldn't find like any roles. Yeah. He was just getting like he wasn't getting roles, he was getting like punchlines. Yeah, and he Looking at his performance here, he could have been, like, this major movie star and honestly should yeah. have been. And especially, like, thinking about how iconic his child performances were. Like, growing up in the 90s, Short Round was, like, every kid wanted to be him because he went mm. on an adventure with Indiana Jones. Like, yeah, and just seeing his performance here, it's almost like he never stopped acting. Yeah, it's almost like um, I was seeing an interview where Michelle Yeoh was talking about how much he was sort of doing he had a vocal coach for all his and a, like a movement coach for not just for like the fight scenes but he had like a movement coach for discerning because he was obviously I, I guess when we get into the plot we'll explain it a bit but he's sort of jumping between different personalities he's sort of his body's being inhabited by different versions of himself and he had completely different version like he crafted from the bottom up physically vocally all these different versions of himself and and he was he was just doing the work he had movement coaches he was rehearsing he was sort of so committed to the role apparently is what he was doing behind the scenes and uh, you could see that you could see all of that in his performance uh i did I, I did notice that he did get some work as like a stunt choreographer in uh films like x-men and the one the one yeah i just saw i just read that earlier today i was like oh he was yeah okay cool and it kind of shows because this guy could fight <laughs> like watching yeah. this movie oh yes <laughs> and then like i guess he retired in 2002 and it wasn't until after crazy rich asians that he decided to try acting again and it's just really sad that like this super talented actor had to wait so long to like finally get like a major role the, re 
and the recognition he kind of deserves as well. I, I hope with this and with the success of this, like we joke about it not getting the Oscars, but like if he got and 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 I'm I'm a big proponent of like divesting from the Oscars as being the ultimate arbiters of what is the best and not the best of the year. I agree. But I that being said, it. what they can do if you, from a professional perspective is they help your work they help you get more work they give you the license to do whatever you want you know like if you win an oscar for acting now you've got scripts you know piled up at your door and you don't have to worry about where the next paycheck's coming from and i want that for him <laughs> yes like why hasn't he been brought back to like indiana jones or something like that like right they just did a new one why wasn't he in that <laughs> yeah i love james mangold but are they finished know. filming it because they could yeah they just wrapped oh. up about a month or two ago Okay, well, maybe the next one. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, uh, hopefully it doesn't take, like, 20 years and then, you know. Eh. Well, yes. Uh, playing her daughter is Stephanie Sue. Uh, she's done more stuff, like, on Broadway and on television. Like she yeah, was in I this... first saw her in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. Last, previous season, season three, I love that show so much. And I was sort of watching it, and she comes in, and she just has this brilliant, like, sarcastic tete-a-tete with um joel mazel the, the mrs mazel's ex who has his own sort of plot going on and i was like i was laughing on the floor it was really funny she was really good i'm like who is this i want to know what else she's been in like it's just one of the ones the, the second they pop on screen you're like oh i want to see everything you've ever done because you are someone i want to watch every time yeah uh and uh, i guess she's just kind of sort of starting out in at least movies right like yeah because uh, like on Broadway, I know she she was been in the SpongeBob musical. Yeah, she's also she's in the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and also the Path on Hulu, uh, which is another. That one I need to watch. About. Yeah, she's amazing here. Yeah, like she's so good, and in and in a way, she's got a lot of the emotional through line of it. I know you know Michelle Yeoh's character has the big change, but she's sort of the one that she's the source of the conflict and also the source of the resolution to the conflict in a, in a way yeah and like even like when you see her like in the beginning with that normal mode where she's like with her girlfriend and yeah by the way uh hollywood this is how you do uh lgbt plus storylines it's it's such a queer movie i love that about it yes <laughs> and I, what's cool too is like even with um evelyn michelle yo's character mm. she's like she accepts her daughter but like begrudgingly Doesn't. so yeah there's there's it's except but there's yeah. there's conditions to it oh my gosh <laughs> i don't want to give away too much now but like oh. right the th i think what you're trying to get at in i was talking with my friend michelle st Clair, who run you'll know from rating descending podcast and she saw it and she's like it's one of those things where it almost feels like everything you could say about the film diminishes it is nowhere near worth the brilliance of the film that it is you have co other co-stars like james hong who has been in just about everything this guy he's one of the most prolific actors in hollywood history like everyone sort of goes there's some i can't remember which other actor i'm like no no james hong's been in like 400 things it's like chances are like you've everyone has seen a movie with james hong in it uh most big trouble in little china yeah uh chinatown uh he was in a lot of stuff in television in like the 70s uh, most recently, he was also in Turning Red, the Pixar movie. Uh, he was in that. Also, I, believe I need to watch that one. <laughs> Kung Fu Panda. He was in Kung Fu Panda, yep. and he's great here, too. And he gets to kind of do a couple of things, because, you know, he's at that point now where he kind of plays the cantankerous 
grandfather, or he plays like the old elderly martial arts master in something like Bulls of Fury. If you've seen that one, that's right. He was in that too. <laughs> I, I, that movie's probably like some aspects are probably dated a little bit since it came out, but I kind of watched that recently and I, I had a bit of fun. <laughs> you know, it was a little bit of fun. Be Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, goes without saying, everyone knows who Jamie Lee Curtis is. <laughs> Halloween, yeah. uh, Knives Freaky Out, Friday. Freaky Friday. And even her even her performance in this, I've never seen her do anything like that before. Yeah. I was sort of like, oh, we've been using Jamie Lee Curtis as a lead actor and she's been a character actor this whole time. Oh my gosh. Like, like not just the one thing that everyone sees in the trailer where she's being this mean, like, bank lady, but like, the multiverse versions of her are also <laughs> well, even just like the there's a scene where you know not too much of a spoil but uh uh michelle yo punches her in the face for the first time and her reaction to that and getting on the phone and she's like you'll be sorry and all that like <laughs> laughing my head <laughs> laughing my head off um it's so and apparently a bunch of the affectations of the character like having the necklace the I only noticed this on the second viewing. Her um, wedding band is often on the necklace, and then she hangs her glasses on the wedding band on the necklace, and the wrist brace that was all her um, suggestions. Yeah, she had a big hand in crafting, and she just she was so keen to do all of the weird things. She was super like down to go nuts and and be like a full blown character actor. Oh, she seemed really excited about this movie. Like I follow her on like Instagram and stuff, and she's like. Mm. It feels like, I don't know if I just never noticed it before, but since then she's been like promoting all the weird stuff. And I'm like, I like this. <laughs> yes. It's like Daniel Radcliffe. It's like after he came off the back of um, Harry Potter and he just used his post Harry Potter clout to get the weirdest projects up and running. Yes. The music was by Son Lux. So the music was very interesting in this movie, I thought. Mm. It's, I, I picked up a lot on it more in the second viewing about just the, the intricate nature of the stylistic changes they do between everything. It's really beautiful work because it sort of starts as a bit of a traditional movie score and then as the genres shift, the music shifts with it in just like perfect harmony. It's a pun intended, I guess. It's a multiverse movie. Uh, I guess Daniels watched this uh, documentary called, uh, let me see, I wrote this down, Sherman's March, a meditation on the possibility of romantic love in the South during an era of nuclear weapons proliferation. <laughs> I need to watch what? that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a documentary uh, by Ross McElway. And I guess the idea was he started off making this documentary about uh, William Tecumseh Sherman. And it was uh, his march to the sea. But I guess at the time he was going through this breakup, so instead it sort of turned into a project about his breakup and his love life. And yeah. uh, I don't know much about it, but apparently it brought up this idea of modal realism, which is like that possible worlds exist as much as the real world. And that sort right. of brought on the idea for this movie. And I also read that like when Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse came out, and I guess Rick and Morty also played with the idea of multiverses, they were kind of worried that oh my god they took our story what i love about it is like yeah we have a ton of multiverse projects because that has become a thing now but this stands on its own yeah and in my opinion i think it 
it's the best one of all of them. Yeah, I think <laughs> by so. Like, by, by like a very, very large margin. Although Into the Spider-Verse is pretty great. That's yeah. That's a pretty good version of a multiverse story. Yeah. And I, I don't mind that, that we're getting like more of those. Um, it's just like what each filmmaker does with it that matters. And Daniels did something like different with this one in that it wasn't all about, okay, what can we, what kind of cool things can we do with a multiverse? Which, yeah, they did that. But more like, how can we make it connect emotionally yeah yeah and i think i so an aspect of it that i really loved is that instead of it just oh there's portals or a portal gun or something like that where in Sorry. the like the rick and morty or the into the spider-verse or i'm uh, in spider-man uh no way home which i haven't seen yet but i get the general gist of it where it's a cool kind of just a device to do it i love that for verse jumping in this it's the most absurd thing you have to do because it just sort of because the whole you know the thesis of the film not to jump ahead to talking about the theme but the idea of it examining the idea that nothing matters what matters what doesn't matter like that plays into it like you have to just do the most nonsensical thing in the world and the more nonsensical it is the more, the better the the slingshot it'll be to get you to your universe. I, I need to watch it again, but I got the feeling that she was just trying stuff to see if she, like, could just jump into a different universe. Like, blow on his nose. <laughs> uh, or the, uh, the, we won't spoil it, but the scenes with the, the trophies. Oh my god, yes, the trophies. The second you get, with the second you're watching it, you're like, oh, they're just going there. Yeah. <laughs> Is everyone just trying to... Oh, my God. That was one of the funnier <laughs> scenes in the movie. But, like, even the stuff that really shouldn't work. Like, the whole hot dog fingers sequence. Yeah. that 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 And that's the moment where you are, like... When they first reveal that, you are... That's the, I think, the peak of the humour of the film. Because even the second time around, I was laughing as loud. And it doesn't normally happen with comedy movies. I normally... I still laugh, but the surprise aspect of it's gone but i just laughed equally as hard on the second time when they first get and it's the i think what it is and what makes the joke work is not just that she's there with hot dog fingers i think it's that there's the they're watching the bollywood film <laughs> and the people in the bollywood film have the hot dog fingers and then they're just like putting them in each other's mouths and the mustard and the ketchup it just is so absurd and then, then they go then, back and explain it. Like, okay, this is how we got hot dog fingers in the first place. And I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. And then they do the, the 2001 joke. Yes. <laughs> lost it, lost it. And, but do you know what's beautiful? And it sort of gets to the heart of what the Daniels do that's so good is like, like with Susami Man, they have fart jokes and then they make the fart meaningful in a way that surprises you and moves you. And they do the same thing with the hot dog fingers. Because, you know, the whole thing is that like, even a world as stupid as that still teaches you something. It still has value. It still has, you know, you know, it's just, it's such a beautiful way of doing it because it's funny and heartfelt. So I think what they, what they get away with doing that is it just removes a lot of movies these days are very ironic and that's nothing wrong with that, but they just, and so you kind of feel a little bit of an emotional distance from that, from the work. And they just do it completely. Another filmmaker that's like that is the Wachowskis. They do completely, you you watch like Cloud Atlas, and there's not an ironic bone in that entire three-hour epic movie. And it's the same thing here. There's nothing, there's all of these humorous things. There's 
metatextual references to other movies even <laughs> you know the one <laughs> yes, yeah. and yet none of them are done in a wink wink haha you see what we're talking about here it completely earnest to the characters to the story to the world and to the themes of the picture it just it blows my mind how they managed to do it because that's the hardest line to walk it feels like not like not a single moment in this movie is wasted like everything no. pays off like even the whole hot dog fingers thing gets an emotional climax and yeah. as ridiculous as it looks and as much as you're laughing at that none of it feels like you're not laughing at it you're just kind of like laughing because of the ridiculousness of it but also you feel like you do feel the emotional like connection there yeah and even some and everything's doing like double or triple duty like something and i just sort of had this pointed out to me today is that something like the the there's a bagel featured within the thing yeah and the bagel is a it's a black bagel because it's, it's an everything bagel in the most universal really? sense which she puts everything onto the bagel and it sort of starts the collapse of the universe i guess is is what it does but the the image of a bagel the black bagel it's a black ring with a white hole in the middle and then the googly eyes which are sort of this symbol of hope and love and silliness and just that joy is it is if you put a googly eye up it's a white ring with a black hole in the middle but there's an inverse of the same image i never noticed that that's pretty cool and, and that's there's no way that's not deliberate um even the fact even even i think the fact that the daughter's name is joy i think is a you look at you know as the movie progresses you look at joy as her name and as a concept of joy that's you know it, it's all about finding a different way to fight than with anger and rage it it's so it's it's both a movie about right now in the most urgent sense of the word and yet it's a completely timeless movie and that's another hard thing a lot of movies they can be really good but they're really of this moment now or they're really good of a moment previously and this one works universally so levels, in my yeah. some li lines of dialogue including like some of the ways that she could jump into another universe where she tells she has to tell one character that she loves them and then later yeah. on in a different universe they actually have a relationship yes and i think that's i think it's beautiful that her first big task she's given in order to kick off her i guess powers if you want to call it that in this world is to declare love for the person that's immediately trying to kill her yeah and i think was... that's that's there's no way that's not like a deliberate purposeful thing that's in there and the fact that it takes a few tries like she doesn't get it right the first time like she has to believe yeah. it is part of it there's a, another thing where in order to describe like what's going on to both her husband and her daughter describing a movie and she's getting the details of the movie wrong but like the detail of the movie that she gets wrong ends up coming back later in a different universe yeah and again it's one of the funniest scenes of the movie and then also has its own emotional payoff yes just endless payoffs and setups and even like the first like i want to say 10 to 15 minutes of where they just introduce it to evelyn's life and there's none of the fantastical elements yet. Everything there perfectly sets up something later on and it perfectly explains her life and her family and the motivations and all of that just is captured so brilliantly. It's a, it's a stellar first act of a very 
out there movie and I think it's really good that it's quite a grounded first act and then it's suddenly and then they're like once we've got all the information you need then they just suddenly like push it on the monitors and you see something weird going on and then the movie just rockets from that point on it was interesting in the in the original draft of the script they wanted Jackie Chan so it was a male lead character I've got I got a hold of that that particular draft actually because I was interested in reading it and yeah so they just called the character Jackie and he's sort of like you know the typical science movie that has someone lecturing like physics or something and some physics concept that then applies directly to the science fiction that happens in the movie um I'm very glad they rewrote it to Michelle Yeoh I feel like I feel like Michelle Yeoh brought something Mm. I feel like with Jackie Chan it would have been it would have been just as outlandish, but I feel like the emotional aspects of it might have, yeah, not connected. And I think the the du- like because the the whole film has the that duality of you know the googly eye versus the bagel, and it has sort of it's timely, it's timeless, it's about you know being human, but it's very specifically about being part of an immigrant family at the same time. It's about being a mother, being a daughter, you know, being queer, being straight, and not understanding queer you know, it, it, husband, wife, those dualities are all through it. Yeah. And even like just going through like j- the relationship between uh, her and her husband and watching the two of them try to have that, particularly him trying to have a connection with her, but she's like stressed out about the taxes and uh, her business. And she, it seems like her mind is on that. And it's interesting that it seems like he's the one who is trying to make it work, but then also he's the one who, like, serves the divorce papers. And that comes in in numerous universes, too. It's like, it keeps coming back to that. And There's that really beautiful, um, well, this is sort of in one of my favorite scenes, second for later, but um, it's the scene, it's almost the, like, they very clearly are, like, referencing Wong Kar Wai. Yeah. When they're shooting, um, it's the scene where he's, it, it's in her, she became a movie star and they never got together. So it's the only universe. And it's interesting that that's the only universe where joy doesn't exist. So like, you know, it's one of the ones she can't sort of invade. Um, and they shoot it like Wong Kar Wai. There's, you know, there's off frame conversations with the beautiful greens and everything like that in the alleyway. But, um, and that one is sort of almost where his emotional you you understand him better in the scope of the film. And they use that. They use like his words in that scene to like just sort of play over everything else that's going uh, going on and like it works beautifully. Like yeah. That entire segment sets up so many like emotional beats that like she says something to him that's like so mean. Where it's like, if I had never met you, my life would have been great. And she doesn't say it, like, with the intent of being mean. She just says it, like, mm. matter-of-factly. And I feel and like... Then in, and then in that world, there's a line... I, I do want to say this line, so this might be the, the hard spoiler point, but he's, there's a line where he... The version of him where they never met, he's like, you know, in another world, I would have loved to have been doing laundry and taxes with you. Oh, and, so like... Good. I'm getting so I'm getting like goosebumps and like slightly emotional because that's like that's where the heart of that movie is in that it's it's about there's all of this wacky weird god damn it, I'm actually like crying <laughs> but um it, it it I did not expect to do that in the middle of the podcast it's that's the heart of it is that like those are the moments you know there's another character says you know 
you know, it can be all this sort of stuff and there's only like a few tiny little moments of brilliance or joy and then it's like, and those are the moments you hang on to because they're worth everything else. And that's the heart of that movie and it's such a, you can't, <laughs> I, there's no words to describe it. It's so stunning and like I, I want to watch it five more times. I really like, I want to see it. My biggest record for seeing movies at the cinemas is I saw La La Land eight times at the cinemas. I, I worry this on the point I'm going to play as long, so I really want to watch it as many times as I can. So I'm hopefully going to go again next Wednesday, and I want to try and drag friends. And every time I'm encountering people, I'm like, you've got to come see this movie. And I feel like it's almost like hype-proof. You can't hype it up too much because there's so much in the film that even if they sort of the general story is not their cup of tea, which is possible, I don't know, you know these people are insane but <laughs> it's possible but even so you can't come out of that movie saying yeah i've seen that before yeah there's nothing else like it yeah, the, the yeah. title I, I feel is like it's, literal it's, yeah yeah it, the title is so perfect and i feel like it's one of those watershed kind of moments in that i wasn't lucky enough to be old enough or whatever to see the matrix when it first um, came to the cinemas, but I would liken it because the way everyone described that being sort of a moment that cinema kind of shifted one way, and I feel like that's this movie. And word of and mouth. it might take a little bit more of time than something like The Matrix to do it to the general populace, but filmmakers everywhere, like you're seeing them talk about this movie in yeah. the best terms. And I feel like because uh, I, I saw someone talking about how oh this movie flopped next to this. Uh, other movie like I guess they were comparing it to something like I don't know Morbius or something like that I'm like <laughs> not really because look at how many theaters this movie is playing in I re yeah I think I read an article I think it was a Hollywood Reporter no Deadline article about how this movie has sort of broken 20, 20 million of its own box office in like a platform release which they haven't done since the pandemic because it wasn't kind of working in a, in a COVID world and it's kind of like I was getting a little despondent about the film world after we sort of had this like quadruple whammy last year of Nightmare Alley, The Last Duel, West Side Story, um, and one other one, I can't remember what it was, where they just, they not only did they not do very well, they kind of really tanked, financially speaking. And I was sort of like, oh no, uh, is good adult movies a thing of the past? Is that something, you know, is it like, old big splashing musicals like is that just not going to be a thing we do anymore um and then the the box office numbers are coming in for this and i'm seeing the reactions to this and I, like it, it's like oh this gives me some hope for the industry because i'm sort of on the you know i'm i've made films and everything but i'm super on the outskirts of everything i'm very indie backyard filmmaker because in australia our industry is just super insular Imagine American film industry, but divide the budget by like one one thousandth that all movies have, and then like the community is just infinitely small. So it's just this super insular in group that is very devoted to keeping that closed. So, you know, I get very despondent about the industry, but then I see a movie like that, and I'm like, oh god, that that gives me a bit of hope. That that makes me hopeful for the kind of stuff I want to make. Yeah. And last week I was talking about like how much I love it when a filmmaker makes takes a big swing and this yeah, was yeah. the biggest swing and it, it landed. Yeah, yeah. I even like the swings where they don't quite land. Same. Like um 
I'm trying to think of an, an, an example. I'm a uh, defender of cats for that reason. Cats. I love <laughs> um, I love so many weird underrated things. I talked um, about Jupiter ascending. Was another one. Sorry, Jupiter ascending was another one that I, talked I need about. to revisit that because I had mixed feelings in the cinema and I haven't seen it since. But I'm going to revisit it. It just I just know I want to be like I mean Speed Racer is about as big a swing as you can make, and it didn't work at the time. But I'm really glad people like it now. Yeah. Well, even Jupiter Ascending, not everything worked, uh, but mm. it, it had some interesting ideas. But like this yeah. is like one of those cases where it's like they had all of these interesting ideas and they put it together perfectly. Everything worked. I, I can't I can't think of a single thing in the movie that didn't land, that didn't... No, no. Even the subtitles, fantastic. No notes. <laughs> like oh there's that bit where the screen breaks and the subtitles are broken across yeah. it, you know, with the shattered glass. It's just genius. It's it's perfect. It's like every bit part character actor that's cast, like they're fa perfect casting. Even every little they, bit part. Even when they decide to just film a couple of rocks. Yeah. That scene um, is amazing. Making that making that both funny and then like maybe one of the biggest emotional like silences of the whole piece is so good. It's so so good. And then it turns into a heartfelt earnest piece that's about the message of the whole thing you know yeah it's the kind of movie you know it almost makes me go like well i'm never going to make a movie good as that so i may as well quit <laughs> but but um i i came out of that i came out of everything everywhere wanting to be a better person <laughs> yeah and like i it, love it, a movie it, like the, that yeah the way it it calls for kindness in a way that feels very radical to it's not just one of those like can't we all just get along because those movies don't work and they almost feel um sarcastic these days whereas this one it feels so radical and aggressive isn't the right word but it's so in your face so just big that it's like undeniable at least for me yeah i i could see that and i i feel like a lot of it is that it's so relatable. Someone pointed out that this is another one of those movies that focuses on generational trauma. Mm. I mean, someone. Lots of people pointed out that this is a movie that focuses on generational trauma. And I could see that mainly because, like, the filmmakers working today, like, a lot of the newer filmmakers are millennials, and now we're coming to terms with that. That's something that maybe previous generations weren't as aware of. Um, if if this hasn't convinced listeners, go and watch it. Yeah. Just go watch it. Just go watch it. <laughs> I agree for sure. Like even if we spoiled everything, uh, <clears throat> well, we spoiled a couple yeah. of things. I, we didn't spoil as much as I thought we would. There's, there's there's you could. I feel like it's almost one of those ones that's spoiler proof in that you could describe all of this, but it will not be the same as seeing it. Like even something like the hot dog fingers. I had that sort of spoil for me. Like, I mean, they show a bit of it in the trailer and then people were sort of joking about it on the internet. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, I get on. I'm expecting something stupid and they have hot dog fingers. And then I just didn't expect it to go as far as it does and then become as meaningful as it does. And that, that oscillation between the two extremes is why it, is what makes it good rather than I didn't know there was going to be hot dog fingers. Well, even the, the raccoon scene. Raccoon-y. Yeah. <laughs> Again, like she, that's just her describing the movie wrong, and then it's another universe, and ah, they gotta get us. And then <laughs> the she jumps on, <laughs> she jumps on his shoulders. 
yeah 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 perfect again perfect. it shouldn't have worked but it worked when they first encountered jobu tobaki to jobu topaki sorry in the hallway in, the, in that corridor yes. and it exemplifies because it's the moment where the film truly ratchets up into the most insane sort of elements of it you know you have the she dances someone to death blows them into confetti and you know that ah oh, it's organic you know just all those moments that are just so perfectly presented in there and they're happening like bang 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 really really fast and they get you into the tempo of how weird the film is going to get and they show you that it, it illustrates the stakes it illustrates the character bond it's doing like a hundred different things at once and then like just from a filmmaking perspective, I was sort of watching it going like the amount of mileage they get out of a couple of strobe lights in this movie is bonkers. You know, they have the multicolored strobe, which they use quite a bit. And they have this sort of an LED strip where the light sort of travels around. And then they use that to light their faces. And just between those two lights, the amount of in filmmaking impact they get. So this isn't visual, like, sorry, I don't want to disparage visual effects, but this isn't some sort of big, showy cg moment where it is with explosions and ships and stuff it's it's a really small it's someone's face it's you know it's the basic tenets of a film is a lens and a face and they're kind of just doing that and they put the light and, and they build out from that into the most bonkers things you've ever seen and i think that hallway is such a great moment of the film in that it does you know the most legwork of of so many different things it really does also i believe that's where the hot dog fingers come in yes yeah that's that's the introduction of the hot dog fingers <laughs> i think I, I i think i officially moved this onto my letterboxd top four you know i knocked off what's up doc but i do love what's up doc but i, I literally haven't seen a movie since what's up doc where like the, the second i watch i'm like okay this is a definitely just an all-time favorite i'm gonna rewatch this unless you count like del toro but del toro is there like by default yeah and he has to work to not be there <laughs> so you know just i was sort of like okay this is definitely an all-time favorite movie and then watching it the second time like Oh, this might be like top five material because I could watch this a hundred times. And I, if I'm talking about it and crying, that's a really good sign. Like that happens. Like I can't talk about the ending of Paddington Two without crying. I will bawl my eyes out. It's really. <laughs> I watched it for the first time with my partner, and, and he saw me. He was like, "Oh, because <laughs> <laughs> I was just I'm a mess with that movie." And this one does the same thing now. But it's interesting. I didn't cry as much on the second time. The first time, I think, because I just saw this shock of all these things, and the second time I was saying about how the emotion hits infinitely harder. So it rewards rewatches, not just in, oh, I missed this joke or I missed that shot. It rewards emotionally a rewatch. I, I could see that. And that ending, too, was like the way everything comes together. And perfect. again, nothing is wasted in this movie. Genius. It's perfect yeah. film. 10 out of 10. No notes. Same, same. <laughs> If I can change, and you can change, everybody can change. Each uh, each episode, I do a rotating segment. We wanted to go back to do another reappraisal this week. A reappraisal? Uh, yes, yes. What, what, I have. Uh, well, there's there's a ton of movies that I think are criminally under. Like you could do a whole podcast about movies that it's not just that they're not talked about, but like people actively hated them. And then I watch the movie, and I'm like, what was everyone? on like this is actually not only is it not a not a bad movie it's actually like a really good 
movie. I have so many of them. Yeah, but same. I thought an, an interesting one to bring up would be, there's a movie, Our Brand is Crisis, starring Sandra Bullock and Billy Bob Thornton, directed by David Gordon Green. Um, and I, I remember this movie sort of came out, it was positioned to be an Oscar bait film, is what it was, because it was based on a documentary. It's a true, semi-true story. It's politics and all that thing. I remember seeing the trailer for it, and it was basically like advertised as this intense political drama. And it, we think Australian distribution's garbage in that we basically Oscar bait films, you guys get it in like November, December, we get them in February, March, because they wait until they see how many awards they've won before they determine how much they want to release it, which is really dumb or really bad for fans of movies like me. Um, but anyway, so there were, it came out in America, I think, in like an October. An early, it was an early Oscar bait release, and it critics like ripped it to shreds. It's got like a twenty percent on Rotten Tomatoes or something bonkers like this, and so the distribution was basically like canned here in Australia, and it kind of just went to home media and it was on stream. I think it was on streaming for a bit when I first saw it. it was on our Netflix here. My whole family adores Sandra Bullock. We we regularly will just we'll watch one Sandra Bullock and then we're like, oh what else do we have with her on it? Yeah, let's we watch Speed. Let's put on the proposal. Let's put you know we just we could watch her, you know, endlessly and I haven't yet seen The Lost City. I'm dying to see The Lost City. Yeah, so we're like, oh here's a Sandra Bullock movie we haven't seen. Let's do that. And we put it on and it's like not only is it like a really entertaining, really interesting story. It's maybe one of her best performances. I think so too. I, I watched it for the first time because uh, you mentioned wanting to do it. Uh, two days yeah. ago, I watched it. And uh, wow, I was really blown away by her performance here. Right. And and you know what's weird is I think the problem is, is that they advertise it like this intense political Oscar bait drama. So And people weren't sort of into that at that point. I think that was just just before Trump. It was sort of in the middle of Obama. We're pretending like everything's okay. And we res- we solved racism, um, <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and so I think people weren't in the mood for that kind of thing. But the movie itself is like deeply funny. Yeah. It's, there's a there's a scene where she moons another bus full of people. It's deeply funny movie, and it's. And it's a bit of a satire. It's really kind of timely in talking about how we think about politics in terms of it being, it's not about the information anymore. It's about the story you are play, presenting to the public or the audience. And and it's the story of her as this political consultant and Billy Bob Thornton as her sort of rival. And they both go on opposite ends of a, an election in um, South America. And it plays this battle of wits and this one-upmanship of, of techniques and it's it's so good. I, I've watched it, you know, uh, three or four times now, and I keep recommending it because I not only does it, do I not see people, like, liking it, but I barely see anyone who knows it exists, you know? I do remember when it did come out, and um, for some reason, I don't know if it was, like, one of those um, Berenstain Bears uh, effect things. For some reason, I remember George Clooney being in it, Right. <laughs> uh, apparently he was only a producer. I do remember it kind of came and went. The reviews kind of eviscerated it. And like, I never got a chance to watch it until a couple days ago. And I was kind of blown away by like how prophetic it was. Like, yeah. as you said, this was like pre-Trump. And yeah. like... Very, could... very ahead of its time. Yeah. And I know that this stuff was happening beforehand. But like, just knowing like how... Seeing how like elections 
can be so easily manipulated just by like controlling the narrative. Yeah, yeah. And the way, you know, her the the where the um the the title comes from, that scene, that monologue she gets is it's a really good like I'm I'm a sucker for a good monologue. I don't like I don't care that people think they're not realistic. I'm like, but I'm watching a movie. I, I didn't pull out a documentary. I pulled out fiction for a reason. Yeah. I want I want heightened reality. And that monologue she delivers is brilliant. It's brilliant. And it's so good. And just, it's a really underrated film. It's weird that it's David Gordon Green because he's, he's got one of the strangest career trajectories, right. I think, of any current working director because he started with, like, Pineapple Express. Then he went to, you know, is, is, did he do that or did he do Your I Highness? I think he did both. Uh, come to think of it. Right, that's right. Yeah, he did both. So he was kind of doing the stoner comedy thing. Okay, he's going to be the next Judd Apatow. And then he does, like, um, like Our Brain is Crisis and he did Stronger with Jake Gyllenhaal. And now he's on Halloween and now he's doing The Exorcist. And you're just like, this guy takes turns that I've never seen another filmmaker do, kind of, really. Yeah, he's, like, not... he's He doesn't seem content to, like, stick with one genre. He just kind of, like, wants to move around a little bit. Yeah, which yeah, is cool. I find it... I I, th- I think this is my favorite David Gordon Green today. Yeah, come to think, like <laughs> when when people talk about like good satire, I think this is it. I think this is like a very good example of satire that people just didn't quite recognize as satire. Yeah, yeah. It's it's always disappointing to see the reviews, and you're sort of like, and half of them are just sort of like, it's not like this, and I'm like, yeah, but it's not trying to be that like examine the film for what it's doing not for what it isn't doing it just seems very weird to me it's sort of like disappointingly realizing that the critics hated sister act 2 i always get really mad about the rotten tomato school for sister act 2 which currently sits at like 26 percent that's criminally like low that. it's, it's it's rated worse than so many other movies that are in my opinion objectively worse and I don't understand why. Sister Act 2 is like a perfect sequel. It's like a perfect sequel, you know? So, so yeah, Our Brand is Crisis. I, I can remember. It's on, you said it was on American Netflix? Uh, yeah, I saw it on At Netflix. the moment, anyway. Yeah. As of this recording. Yeah. Um, in Australia, it's not so much. And I think we just, we just recently, I got a friend of mine to watch it. And he loved it. And then I said, get it on Blu-ray because they just, they went to like, when they go below $5 at like our electronics store, that usually means it's going out of print. So it's gone out of print now on her, on Blu-ray, at least, anyway, in, in Australia. So I don't know where it will be available, maybe Google Play Movies or iTunes or something. But it's a brilliant movie. And if you love Sandra Bullock, 100%, you'll love this movie. She's funny and emotional and all these sorts of things. I kind of reckon that this is the one she maybe should have got her Oscar for. I agree. <laughs> uh, I didn't hate The Blind Side as much as a lot of people did, but... Mm. Oh, neither, neither did I, but I was just sort of... It was a lot of expected things. Um, there's not. It would talk about surprise, like with everything everywhere. There was there was there was a movie without a lot of surprises, and this one, Our Brand is Crisis, has a lot of them. A lot of moments that you're like, oh, oh, that's not where I thought you were going with that, but that's the that's a better. You know, her mooning them outside of the bus is. You're like, oh, this is really good. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun, and it has a lot to say, and it says it really well. So yeah. I, I have no yeah. complaints about that movie. I'm still, I, I still can't believe like it's rated so low. Yeah, yeah, I'd understand if it was very like average, but for it to have been sort of despised the way it does, I definitely think if a movie needs a reappraisal, it's our brand is crisis. Yeah, 
And I feel like because of that, not a lot of people saw it, so we didn't get a lot of dissenting opinions on it. But I'm glad yeah. you recommended it. Um, by the way, I also wanted to thank you for recommending Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. That became one of my oh, favorite yes. movies from last year. So good. I, I came across it by chance because the producers of... I loved One Cut of the Dead. If you love Beyond the... Uh, One Cut of the Dead is, in my opinion, better, but not in like, a, oh, it's a competing thing. I just think like that one's like a perfect movie, One Cut of the Dead. And it's one of those ones you'll be like 15 minutes in and you'll be like... Ah, what is this? Because a lot of people have turned it off like 15 to 20 minutes in. Keep go go to the end. And it's just one of those ones you just got to trust that the movie knows what it's doing and it will deliver, but it requires the commitment to the whole picture. And it's really good. And it's the same producer, like the same studio, same distribution studio as Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. But I got to see Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes in like a cinema full of people for a Japanese film festival here brought the house down it was a hit and i loved it and I, I love the end credits where they show you them making the film and they're just doing it on like an iphone with a stick and i'm like oh my god you know it's a time travel movie and they did it on iphones in one location yeah it's, it's genius yeah it's it's funny and it's the simplicity is part of its charm too like yeah 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 100 percent, 100 percent. i i'm a big advocate the more we're sort of getting a, a bit drowned out in some of the bigger movies that make $800 million at the box office or whatever it is, the more I'm keen on finding little films, films that went under the radar, people missed or whatever, that just kind of, they expand the world of what you watch a little bit. So, And I'm really glad that like everything everywhere seems to be doing that for, for people on a much grander scale than sort of the one-on-one -on -one recommendation of this movie. This movie seems to be catching fire in a way that is really uh, heartening. It's really heartening for me. Yes, I, I'm i really hoping. I feel like this is one of those movies, maybe they'll never make number one at the box office, but I feel like it's going to stay in the top ten for like a few, for a couple months probably. Yeah, yeah. It's like one of those movies. Yeah, yeah. 100%. We had, it's like Parasite. We had Parasite played for over a year in Australia. Oh, Parasite over a year in cinemas, which is insane. Doesn't happen here. We get rid of movies two weeks in. Yeah. You know? And like, so, yeah. for me to walk out of a movie and it sticks with me for as long as it does, like everything everywhere all at once, it's one of those movies. It's Yeah, it's, it's that movie. <laughs> Our friend Michelle, she sort of said, Oh, I think we've done it. I think we've made the movie. I think we've finished. We finished making movies because we made it. We did the best one. Pack it don't in, filmmakers. Do don't anymore. even try anymore. <laughs> yeah, don't even try anymore. It's we finished. Movies, <laughs> we perfected it. You know. <laughs> yeah, that, this is like a once in a generation type movie. I think. Yeah, I keep describing it like that to people because it really has to be. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. This was so much. Thank fun you for having me. me. Of course, Thank you for yeah. Me. This has been a joy. I love talking. It, the thing I like after so i like the thing i like most in the world is making movies and i like watching movies and i like talking about movies yeah same <laughs> that's why i started the podcast also well, i i find a lot of joy in talking to people about things that they are excited about too so like I, I i that's one of the reasons i did this podcast and so like just to have that sort of like back and forth about something like we enjoy mutually is just it's an experience that i think i want to keep doing this yeah i really like that your podcast is very positive focused yeah it's great and if, it, there's, if there's I... too many worst of lists there's too many 
what's the worst movie? Like, I'm so sick of that going viral every time. Tell me movies you love that I, I've never heard of before. Like, that's the kind of thing I like. Yeah, that's kind of what I liked about the Rating Descending podcast is that, yes, it's about yeah. like a quote, worst movies list, but it's like coming at it from a, well, are they really that bad standpoint? Yeah, I like what I love. And I've said this to Michelle. I said, what I really love is that you approach every movie from its, on its own terms. It is, if it's like, you know, because some of those movies that are on that list, you're like, this isn't a bad movie. This is, you know, like that Ra one, it's just a ridiculous Bollywood movie, but that's what all of Bollywood movies are like, like, and, and all of the cri criticisms of it seem to be criticisms of things that are very one specific culture's idea of what is good or bad. And I just, that, that's so much less interesting. Like I really, I'm not even mad. I'm just sort of like, oh, it must be really sad to watch a movie with someone who just sort of has decided there's this very, very narrow strip of what I think is a good movie and everything else is bad, quote unquote, bad filmmaking. That makes me mad. That gets me, I get it quite irate when they call something bad filmmaking. I'm like, no, it's bad and I didn't like it are two different things. Yes. But thank you for having me on. This has been a joy. It's been a pleasure. Oh, of course. Thanks for coming on. Um, where can we find you on social media? You can find me, I'm probably most active on Twitter at Shane M underscore Anderson. So Shane, S-H-A-N-E-M, and then underscore Anderson, S-O-N, because sometimes there's an E on people's names. Um, I'm probably most active there, probably too active if I say so. I need to curb my Twitter usage just a little bit. We're all guilty. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, I have a film, my film, you mentioned at the top of the thing, I have a feature film that it's a bit rough around the edges. It's a bit how you go. And it was my first feature film, but I was very proud. I'm, I'm very proud of it at the same time because we did a lot of, you know, we did it for like fifth in, in American dollars, like 12 to 15 grand. So we made it for next to no money. And I think it looks, it looks like a real movie. That was my biggest worry. Is that I wanted it to look good and have cool shots and do all those things. And, um, so it's called Red Curtain Hell, and you can get it on, it's it's on Vimeo On Demand. So that's vimeo.com slash on demand slash Red Curtain Hell, all one word. And uh, if you use the code Picture Rangers, which is sort of, it's an old podcast I used to do. I used to do a movie podcast as well, but uh, I got too busy. Um, but P-I-C-T-U-R-E-R-A-N-G-E-R-S. It's so a Picture Rangers, one word, and that gives you 20% off your rental or purchase. We got some lovely special features on there. There's a commentary, there's a behind the scenes and there's a blooper reel. So it's not just, you're not just buying the movie or whatever. I've, we've, I've, I've given the full package. So uh, yeah, that's the thing I've got to spruik. I'm working on a new podcast that's about television shows that only lasted one season. Um, but it's taking time. It's, it's one, I'm researching the production history of these things and it's really hard. Oh, <laughs> I'm yeah. not used to that. So, because a lot of the other podcasts about that are sort of discussion shows. So I want to be to something a little different so that'll be coming out but i don't know when so i don't have the socials to spruik for that but. and i can vouch for red curtain hell i do have a i did get the digital copy of that off of vimeo Aww. uh it is it is a delightfully chaotic movie <laughs> and you know as we're, we were talking about another delightfully chaotic movie this entire podcast i feel like it's kind of appropriate it's a lot of fun. It's it's uh, the 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 pitch the, the elevator pitch for it. It's set during the opening night of basically the worst amateur theater production of Hamlet you've ever seen, and what starts to happen as the night goes on and all the egos are clashing, the behind the scenes story starts to replicate the actual story of Hamlet, and it gets things get gory, things get violent, things get bloody, um, and all hell done break loose. I used to be a theater kid and like 
high school and my junior college days. So a lot of this, I'm like, oh, this is really cool. I like it. I mean, it never got that chaotic, but you know. Right. I I stole a lot from my days in theater as well. It didn't didn't get as violent, literally violent, but it got metaphorically violent. Uh, It was was an interesting world and the perfect place, I thought, to set a fun little movie. Yeah, I remember I put it on my letterbox as like a movie that I watch and it actually stayed on my like stats page because I guess it came up as most obscure. And it's cool that it was on my stats page, but I don't feel like it should be that obscure. So highly recommend oh, uh, Red Curtain Hell. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. This has been In a Place Like This. I hope you are not just entertained, but somehow reborn together.